And welcome to God Forbid. Great to have your company. It's the podcast in RN show that dissects religion, culture, ethics, ethnicity, and then tries to put them back together again, but forgot how they were put together in the first place. And think about this. In one in three Australian marriages, the bride and groom are born in different countries. One in three. We add to that, of course, all the Aussie-born kids of migrants and interfaith, interethnic, interdenominational marriages are not just common, they're typical. Hard to imagine, isn't it, that only a few generations ago, if a Protestant married a Catholic, weddings would be boycotted and families split, all in the name of protecting the children. It'll never work. I know exactly what you're thinking. You can't have a mixed marriage. The kids will be freaks. The DNA of Catholic and Protestant aren't supposed to be meshed like that. You'll get some sterile mule child of some description. <laughs> What's wrong with the child? Don't talk to the mule child. He is born of Catholic and Protestant. He is wrong. He is an abomination. <laughs> Basically, if you've ever been to a wedding, you'll know this. Catholic on one side, Protestant on the other. That's not a feckin' mixed marriage. A mixed marriage is one side of the church going, Mazel tov! And on the other side, men are firing guns in the air. If you're ever at a wedding and one side of the church has a big dragon that they're running up and down in the middle of the service, and on the other side, men with spears are hopping up and down. That's a mixed marriage, ladies and gentlemen. That was comedian Dara O'Brien. But today, Tammy Sussman is a nice Jewish girl from a nice Jewish school and a nice secular Jewish family. But from the age of 15, she sought out a non-Jewish boyfriend. Not a toy boy, but a goy boy. She believed this would magically transform her from sweet and reliable to mysterious, with a hint of danger. Needless to say, she's now safely and happily married to a nice Jewish boy. She's a marriage celebrant with a particular knack for mixed marriages. Tammy Sussman, welcome to God Forbid. Thank you, James. Can I ask you if I can actually call you Jamie, as your grandmother used to call you? you? Of course you can. Okay, it's a loving term. Actually, she she called me Michael, which was her son's name. (laughs) Michael, you haven't eaten. (laughs) I need to ask you, Tammy, your husband is Jewish, but it's the most mixed, non-mixed marriage in history. Explain. Okay, so my parents joke that my husband is the closest thing to marrying out in inverted commas. That's what the the Jewish community of Sydney, um, when they speak about anyone in their family who has married someone who isn't Jewish, they say he or she has married out, which I find quite offensive. The term or uh, the the practice? The term, no, the practice is fine by me. The term marrying out I find quite offensive. I like to flip that around and say, you know what, they haven't married out, their partner has simply married in. Interesting way of looking at... Marrying out. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear it on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, but why are you in a mixed, non-mixed marriage? Okay, so my husband comes from Sephardi Jewish heritage. You're Ashkenazi. I'm Ashkenazi, meaning that my family have come from Eastern Europe, whereas my husband's family have come from Mexico and Turkey, though ethnically not Mexican, probably Syrian, Iranian... And I've got a definition of what Sephardi means. Yeah, so apparently (laughs) I just thought Sephardi meant Middle Eastern Jews. No, that's Mizrahi. Sephardi means a Jew from Spain when they had the expulsion. Yes, correct. Thank you. Didn't need my definition. Thank you, Jamie. 
also known as Michael. <laughs> so, look, so there are cultural differences within our own marriage and, and that's come up quite a bit. We'll get to him in a moment. Yes, okay. But Sereka Gorange is our very special guest as well. She's Associate Director of International Programs at Uniting World, the international arm, development arm of the Uniting Church. She's a Tamil born in Sri Lanka. She's lived in Bangladesh, Botswana and the UK before moving to Australia. She has long experience working in the Pacific, South Asia, Southeast Asia, working in empowering women in women's organisations and connecting with church and church groups. Welcome to God Forbid. Thank you. You're a nice Sri Lankan Tamil woman. Did you marry a nice Sri Lankan Tamil man? Sadly not, no. <laughs> married out. I married out. Did that cause any problems? Oh, yes. <laughs> So I went uh, to the UK to go to university and so in my early 20s found a nice English boy which caused a certain amount of controversy in my family. But uh, you're Christian, your parents are Christian? That's correct. So it wasn't a religious thing, it was a culture thing. They just don't like English? <laughs> no, it was, uh, I guess from their perspective, cross-cultural marriages have failed in the past. They just didn't think that it was going to last. And we all know that marriages which are within a culture never fail. Absolutely, absolutely. So everything from, oh, he doesn't eat our food, to white men sleep around and abandon their wives and the whole thing. Well, both of those uh, things can be true. <laughs> absolutely. That's so interesting that you mentioned that it wasn't a religious difference. It was a cultural difference. Um, I grew up with an Eastern European, a Polish grandmother who was highly suspicious of everyone, but she was also highly suspicious of Sephardi Jews. So when she met Yossi as my boyfriend, she was very pleasant, smiled at him, nodded at him while he spoke to her in Hebrew. And then when he went to go get her a tea, she looked at me and she says, I don't like him. Never trust the Sephardim. So, you know, and there are differences. There are cultural differences. Sephardic Jews tend to be darker in skin tone. Yes, Ashkenaz. and I, I actually think that they're potentially is a bit of racism in that as well. But my grandmother, who passed away in April last year, so I shouldn't really be... Um, speaking, speaking, Ill, Ill, speaking ill of speaking, the dead. Speaking ill of the dead, but she spoke ill of everyone all the time <laughs> when she was alive. So, um, yeah, I think she, there was definitely racism in that. There are many, many axes on which we other people culture, skin colour, it's drawing this line between one of us or one of them is just, mm. it's just a human practice. I mean, exactly. So so did your in-laws have a concern as well? Not, not really. I think they were more worried about the fact that my husband was going to move out to Australia and they weren't going to see their son very much. Yeah. <laughs> it was a problem. His grandparents had a hilarious reaction, which when he rang up and told them that he was getting engaged to a Sri Lankan woman and they said, oh, somebody from the colonies, what colour is she? And so he says, oh, about milky tea. <laughs> <laughs> but they have been unwaveringly welcoming and, and affirming. But yeah. it was just that the whole paradigm that, oh, right, she's a different colour, so we'd better figure out what shade of brown sort Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. No, my in-laws get along well and I love my in-laws as well. We just, mm -hmm. we also... What we kind all... of drink are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, Turkish tea. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought about that in your introduction when you spoke about, you know, back in the day when mixed marriages would have caused rifts in families. And unfortunately, that is still happening. Sometimes these weddings are still being boycotted by family members. Which Boycotts. Is, yeah. It's a big thing to do. Which is unfortunate. Overall, though, I'd have to say that the families have been quite supportive and 
embracing, especially after they've their children have experienced rejection from whatever religious leader they went to um, to approach for the wedding. Because it's much more common that the bride and or groom are rejected by their own faith leadership exactly. than their parents. Exactly. That is to say the rabbi, the imam, the priest will say, that's, exactly. not, that's not a real marriage. They'll say, we won't marry you, sorry. And they'll say, but we've been attending or I've been attending this synagogue or this church all my life. And so is my family, in fact, for generations. And, you know, that religious leader will say, I'm still sorry, I can't do it. So after they experience that kind of rejection, that can really, I suppose, lead to, you know, a lot of anger and a lot of hurt. So usually that's when the parents step up or would need to step up and say, okay, well, you know, I don't want to lose my child. I'm going to have to find a way to accept this. I often joke, though most jokes have an undertone of truth to them, that more Jews need to marry people from different faiths and different cultural backgrounds because, you know, our irritable bowel issues are... are so profound that we have to, and they're profound because of all this inbreeding, that we need to... Broaden the gene pool. You need fresh genes. Precisely. Tammy Sussman is a a marriage celebrant and a representative of the Australian Society of Gastroenterologists. (laughs) (laughs) I should be. I've seen so many of them. Shout out to my (laughs) rector surgeon. How are you doing? And we're with Sirenka Gorringe the Associate Director of International Programs at Uniting World. Now, you were saying how you don't like the term marrying out, Mm -hmm. Tammy. Yes. Have a listen to British comedian and uh, broadcaster Nish Kumar. I honestly didn't realise we were still using phrases like marrying out. I thought that we were past all of these conversations, we had all accepted that, you know, love is the most important ingredient to any relationship. And also, these are ancient, powerful religions that have survived so much upheaval and change. The idea that they're now going to fall apart because someone within the faith has married someone from outside of the faith is unfathomable to me. I don't understand. That's, 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 I can't believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> uh, that's Nish Kumar. But Sureka... He makes a compelling point, but does he miss something? It's not as simple as that. The emotions and experiences of parents are more complex. They're losing potentially an identity, a a language, and so forth. That's right. So firstly, there is the the fear of the unknown, and particularly when they don't sort of approve of certain cultural norms or whatever that comes from the, the group that they're considering other, there is this fear that their child is going to be exposed to risk and pain and and grief because they've gone into something. So it's motivated by love. Absolutely. It's a Mm. desire to protect your children. There is a secondary issue of wanting to hold on to culture. And in immigrant communities, I find in the Sri Lankan Tamil community, there is actually more resistance to westernisation within immigrant communities than there is back in Sri Lanka because this desire to hold on to culture and identity because it, it, it can get destroyed and diluted so easily. So this is this sort of wanting to concentrate the essence because you're in a pond of aliens, as it were. Mm. And Tammy, for Jews, there's an added complication of the Holocaust. That's true. Yeah, there is a lot of guilt. I grew up with, you know, the sentiment among our grandparents was, it well, if you marry someone who isn't Jewish, you are finishing Hitler's work. So that was, that's a common phrase. Um, Do you think that put much pressure on the bride and groom on the wedding? Oh, none at all. (laughs) But just to touch on something you said before, um, James, about losing identity when marrying someone from a different religion or cultural background. 
for example, I met with a couple um, British guy, agnostic background, Jewish woman. Now, she wasn't particularly keen on having much Jewish ritual in her ceremony because she was a secular Jew, wasn't practicing, but he loved it. He loved all the ritual and he yearned to have some kind of custom and and ritual in his ceremony, which he felt that he lacked. And in that way, I think in some ways he was helping her to express her cultural and religious identity. And even, you know, in my own personal life, I've never felt prouder to be Jewish or more enthusiastic to participate in Jewish festivals and ritual than when I've had a partner who isn't Jewish. So unfortunately, since I've married a Jewish man, we've both become, if we talk about a spectrum between religious practicing and secular non-practicing, we've moved much further towards the non-practicing. We've become a bit complacent. We criticize things happening in Israel. Whereas when I was dating someone who wasn't Jewish at any time, there was something on the news about Israel acting out of place. I'd feel like, oh, I have to defend them somehow. You know, so it's quite interesting how sometimes marrying someone from a different faith can actually help you get more connected to your religion and your culture. Except when that non-Jewish Gentile groom says, let's have Jewish things in the wedding, Yes, you have rabbis telling you no. Exactly, and that's quite unfortunate. Because you actually can't uh, officiate, you can't solemnise a Jewish wedding. So I can solemnise what I believe is a Jewish wedding and what my couples identify as a Jewish wedding, but which would not be recognised as a kosher Jewish wedding by the Beit Din. Which is what? The rabbinical court. In the Uniting Church, Sureka? The legal requirement, certain words must be said, Mm -hmm. and then the Uniting Church marriage liturgy has certain other words in order to be a church wedding. But then there is a huge amount of flexibility. I mean, I got married in the Uniting Church, but in Tamil culture, you don't exchange rings. You exchange a thali, which is a gold chain. And, And so... In my wedding, my husband, in the bit of the liturgy where they normally bless the rings and do the swapping bit, he gave me a thali as the token of the marriage. So while the core of the thing, that the fact that you're doing it with God as your witness and you take vows, the other stuff can be customised quite a lot, I think. Yes. But are there lines you can't cross? The bride and groom both have to be baptised, for example? No. The Uniting Church is uh, much more open and sort of uh, flexible. flexible. Does, it, does, any, <laughs> does anything go? I think the process is done on a person-by-person basis. So you would approach a Uniting Church minister Find as a right couple one. and discuss. My husband, who is a Uniting Church minister, is... Well, that um, made it easy, didn't it? <laughs> well, he wasn't when I married him. He was a physicist. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway. That's a story in itself. That's indeed. But he's marrying someone quite soon who is, is a lovely story of a couple who met because they're both single parents and their daughters met each other at school and became best friends Aww. and had this strong desire to become sisters and therefore introduced their parents to each <laughs> other with a cunning plan. <laughs> and That's great. <laughs> they're getting married. Love it. And it is more about the essence of marriage, which is up to people actually committing to remain in faithful relationship with each other. Are they willing to honour who they are as each other and enter into those vows in good faith, Mm. I think is more the, the test. And any minister can refuse to marry somebody if they thought that there was coercion or intimidation going on or there was something not right, if it didn't smell right. So yeah. he says, I think you're being coerced by your teenage daughters. Um, 
I think I'm going to step in. I don't think this is a genuine marriage. Marriage is just so intensely a cultural thing as well as a religious thing. Mm. So in every human context, the two traditions have been, you know, Tamil Christians, you know, they they still wear a sari to get married, but they will wear a white sari to church yes. as a sort of an, a recognition of the sort of the yes. other thing, but they'll use a thali instead of the Christian tradition of lighting a candle. Unity candle. The candle yeah. to depict Christ as the light of the world. In Tamil weddings, you would often, you'd light the, the brass lamp, which is, is very strongly significant significant in Hindu culture. And it's quite interesting because quite often Christians would actually commission a brass lamp, which didn't have the rooster on the top, but just had some kind of ornamental noble thing. <laughs> <laughs> because they would sort of, sort of, it's so the, the lamp is intensely Tamil, but you sort of take the Hindu symbolism away so Christians can use it in their worship because you try to integrate. Because light is a symbol of, I guess, a spiritual health is so universal, it's not a Christian thing. Any culture can incorporate that. God forbid. We're with Tammy Sussman, a marriage celebrant, Dr. Sarika Goringer, Associate Director of International Programs at Uniting World. Up next, same-sex marriage and the voice in the wilderness. This Is About is a podcast hosted by Jordan Raskopoulos. That's me. Stories told by those who live them. To do a good job, you kind of have to believe that you're Spider-Man. He was holding what he claimed was Ned Kelly's skull. She just said to me, if you can't have this baby, I'll have a baby for you. Uh, what I thought was two different dolphins was just one shark. What? This Is About on the ABC radio app or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Listen now on your phone. You know, just do the thumb thing.